Dusty McBalls, aka the Certified Cougar Hunter, aka the man with balls too big to handle. And on today's episode, we're checking ourselves into the Weston State Hospital, also known as the Trans Algany Lunatic Asylum. Today, we will witness the horrific stories that these patients had to go through. With that being said, get your Crocs on, set them bitches in adventure mode, and let's get this show on the road. 1858, construction of this building of horrors began. The mastermind of the construction of this building was Thomas Story Kirkbride, who was a physician and crusader for the mentally ill. He also established the American Psychiatric Association. He built on the foundation by famous reformer Dorothea Dix, who sought to disabuse misconceptions about mental illness. Even though the science behind his medical ideas were shaky at best, it did lead to more humane and more effective ways of treatment than other asylums in this era. Kirkbride emphasized the importance of light and fresh air, that his buildings would be designed with open halls, high ceilings, plenty of windows, and a ventilation system that can cause a cross breeze. He also wanted his patients to have freedom and wanted them to roam around the building and the property so they could stimulate their brains, making them behave better and not worse. Kirkbride's ideas inspired the construction of 73 other buildings in the 19th century. The asylum opened up its doors in 1864 being able to only house 250 patients. The grounds covered 600 acres with access to a working farm, a dairy herd, a water reservoir, an ice plant, and a cemetery for those who would eventually pass on those grounds. This state-of-the-art hospital focused on making the patients feel more at home. The hospital didn't start becoming inadequate until the 1930s, where orderlies struggled to regain control of the hospital since they were outnumbered by the patients that were running wild. In October of 1935, patients set the fourth floor on fire, causing more than $155,000 worth of damage. But in the 1950s, it was a whole nother ball game for the patients and the employees. With the hospital housing 2,500 patients, which is 10 times more 
than what the hospital can hold, more violence between the staff and the patients broke out. During this dark time of the hospital, anyone who acted out or complained was subjected to solitary confinement and chained to a wall in an empty room for months on end. Medical practices going on in this hospital in the 50s consisted of ice baths, seclusion cells, electric shock therapy, and lobotomies. The doctor's favorite procedure at one point was the ice pick lobotomy, where they took a one or two pronged device and drove it through the orbital socket of the eye and into the brain with a sharp blow. In 1952, a doctor alone performed 228 ice pick lobotomies in a two-week span. There wasn't only just doctor-on-patient violence though, there was also patient-on-patient violence in the facility too. In one such case, two patients hung one of their fellow patients with the bedsheet, but when he did not die, they cut him down and crushed his head against a metal bed frame. The female workers of the facility weren't safe either, since several of them had been raped by patients too. Many of the former employees reported being attacked while on duty and even one nurse went missing. Later to be found two months rotting at the bottom of the staircase in a suitcase. In order to deal with the more severe and mentally ill patients, it was said that most of them were kept in cages. In 1985, Charleston Gazette exposed the asylum, reporting that court-appointed inspectors found the building to be dirty and unkempt, with many patients left naked and confined to dirty wards and bathrooms with smeared feces on the wall. They dodged this bullet until seven years later when the Charleston Gazette came back in 1992, exposing them again for the horrendous conditions. That same year, two patients died on the grounds of the hospital. George Edward Bodie died after a fight with another inmate, and Brian Scott B. committed suicide, and his badly decomposing body wasn't found for eight days. In 1994, the hospital was finally forced to be shut down due to the treatment of the patients and the deterioration of the building. The hospital stood vacant until the year of 2007 where it was auctioned off and bought by Joe Jordan. For a total of $1.5 million. Once Mr. Jordan bought it and renovated it, he turned it into a museum with guided historic and paranormal tours. And at night, you can even go ghost hunting. Yes, surprisingly, this hospital has ghosts. Shocker. The tales of these unearthly spirits 
ceased before the grounds were even a hospital since the battles of the Civil War raged on the exact same grounds that the hospital was built on. The spirits that roam the hospital range from Civil War soldiers, children, ex-patients, staff members, murderers, rapists, and other violent offenders also dwell in the building along with the poor souls who were consumed by depression and substance abuse. Staff and visitors claim to see ghostly figures walking through walls and shadow figures in the dead of night. One doctor claims that a spirit followed her home after a shift one night and still causes her trouble till this day. Others have reported a ball of light flying through the air and spying apparitions dressed in white. On the first floor of the building in the Civil War room, there is a female ghost named Ruth who hates men. She has thrown things at them and has even pinned them up against walls. People have also claimed you can hear her whistling in the halls. In Ward 2, on the second floor, in one, of, in one room, a man was stabbed 17 times by another patient, and in another room, two patients committed suicide by hanging themselves from curtain rods. Shadow figures roamed these rooms, and on one occasion, an EVP session was done where something or someone said get out. Located on the fourth floor, there's a child spirit named Lily, who sits in a room waiting for anyone to come play with her and her toys. She wears a little white dress and is estimated to be, a, to be around nine years old. Legend has it that Lily spent most of her short and sad life trapped between the asylum walls. There was no true account on how she ended up there though. One story claims she was dropped off at the hospital and another story claims that she was born at the hospital and her mother was a committed patient. These ghost stories are only scratching the surface on the poor souls that are trapped and being tormented there. With that being said, this episode is a little short, it's a little sweet, just to make it, just to make it to the week, so I can see you guys next Sunday for a Christmas special on Krampus. Make sure you click the follow button so you get notified every time I upload. Stay frosty, stay foxy, and most importantly, stay safe. Mick Balls, out.